live from the Fremont Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. May the narrative be with you. It was 1997, and I was 45 years old. And I had just gotten home from my counseling job at a community college. And I loved my job, and, but my job was hard because each hour I would have college students who would come in my office and they were struggling. So they were either struggling with suicide, they might be struggling with addiction, or they were just scared because they wanted to get into a program and they weren't sure if they were gonna be able to. So I came home that day and I was tired, my heart was tired and I thought, that my work was so important, but I was really looking forward to being home. And I came in the house. I live in a beautiful farmhouse. It's red and orange, and it, there's 100 acres to stare at. And I was so excited to be in this house. My partner, Kathleen, was playing the guitar, and she was singing. And we were on our second honeymoon because we had four adopted kids, and the last one was finally out of the house. And we had big plans that we were going to um, play together and we were going to do music together. And we loved our kids, but they were launched and now we were going to launch ourselves. So I went upstairs to um, plan my night and I thought, well, I'm going to lay on the bed and read a book and take a deep breath and let go of the college students. And that's what I did, when, but the phone rang. So I answered the phone, and it was my dad. And that wasn't uncommon, because I had, an, I had an amazing dad. He would call me often, and he would write me letters. And um, I started to talk to him, but what he did was he interrupted the conversation. He said, you know, Ellen, I have something really serious I want to talk to you about. He, and I said, okay. And he said, well, I'm almost 80, and I'm really lonely, and I think it's time that I move up with you. And I thought to myself, really? Oh, my God. And I said, Dad, what's wrong? And he said, no, nothing's wrong. But I live in California, and I just feel kind of lost here, and it's time to move up with you. And I, I thought to myself, how could this be, number one? This was supposed to be my honeymoon. And two, I had just seen my dad. I have been down there several months before that. And... My dad lives in Leisure World, where it's like a day camp for seniors. And he was um, busy all the time, and I used to go with him. So my dad was a dancer. Dan we line danced that time for five hours that night. He could outdance me. He's a social justice person, so I went to all his social justice discussion groups. He swam. He was the president of the aerobics club of 30 women, and just him. And so... That's the dad I knew, but the dad on the phone was wanting to relocate. So I said to him, I could hear his voice shake a little bit, and I said to him, you know, dad, I live with Kathleen, and I really need to talk with her. And he said, oh, I know you guys are lesbian lovers. <laughs> and I thought, that was the fucking weirdest thing I'd ever heard my dad say, because... He had been with Kathleen and I for 15 years, and he never defined us as lesbian lovers. <laughs> and I, um, I said, well, Dad, besides lesbian lovers, we're partners. We own the house together. 
This is a really serious discussion. We need to talk about it. And he said, okay, you talk about it, and I'm thinking that maybe tomorrow you could give, tell me your decision, and I'd like to move up like in about five or six days. <laughs> and I was like, so I decided not to further the conversation because I really was confused. I didn't even understand it. So I hung up the phone, I laid on the bed, and I thought to myself, oh my God, I don't know if I'm more worried about my dad and what he is thinking about doing or how I'm going to break this news to Kathleen. So Kathleen came up and um, I looked at her and I said to her, Kath, guess who's coming to dinner? <laughs> and in our family, that was a code word, meaning that somebody else in the family needed something or something was going off a little bit. And I told Kath the story and um, Kath looked at me with these huge, beautiful eyes that she has and said, if your dad needs help, we need to help him. And when I met Kathleen, I won the lottery, the partner lottery, because Kathleen came into my life 15 years before that, and I had Marisol, Maria, Megan, and Saul. And Kathleen came into a huge family with beautiful kids, chaotic life, kind of hippie-ish, and kind of not, but she opened her heart and accepted all of that. So I believed her. I believed that if my dad needed help, we were going to help him. So that night, I laid up all night long, because I'm a worrier. I worry about a lot of things, and unfortunately, the things I worry about, they usually come true. <laughs> and, and I... I was planning, and while everyone's running around making earthquake kits, I am always making an emotional earthquake kit because I'm always prepared for what's next. So I woke up that morning and I thought to myself, you know, I just need to think about this. And I didn't even get out the door and my dad called. And it was seven in the morning. And I said, hi, and he said, what is your decision? And in the background, I could see, hear cars, and I could hear a siren, and I said, Dad, where are you? Where are you right now? And he said, I'm in a phone booth. And I said, what are you doing in the phone booth? And he said, they're coming to get me. So I said, who's coming to get you? And he said, Ellen, the IRS are coming to get me. And I said, why would the IRS come to get you, Dad? And he said, well, I cheated on my taxes. And I said, well, Dad, you've laid linoleum floors your entire life. You didn't make any money. They're, they're not interested in a linoleum floor layer. And he, he said, I'm going to lose everything in my life. They're coming to get me. And I started to try to explain to him, and he hung up. He said, they're here now, and he hung up the phone. And there was no way I could get a hold of him. So I went to work, and I started thinking about what I should do. It still hadn't dawned on me. I'm a counselor, and I see students all day long who are having issues, but I was still not quite sure what this was about. And he called that day four more times. And I got on an airplane with my best friend, because I, one of my things in my emergency kit is that if anything goes wrong in your life, you bring a friend, and that friend helps you. And so we showed up in Southern California the next morning, and I drove the car into his place, and out of the corner of my eye, 
he had a little road by his condo. He was riding his bike in circles, just over and over again. And I looked at him, and he had lost 25 pounds at least. He was really thin. And I parked the car. My heart was beating fast. But I'm also like a 911 operator. I, I, I put my emotions kind of to the side while I try to figure out what the hell is happening and what I should do. He pulled the bike right up to my window. I rolled down my window, and he said, oh, my God, now they're going to get you. And I said, you know, Dad, I'm not scared. They're not going to get me, and I don't think they're going to get you. But I'm going to get out of the car, and let's go in your house. So I got out of the car. We walked into his house, and when the door opened, I was just stunned because I, what I saw in his house was completely different than the house that I was in a few months before that. He had no food, nowhere. He had a pile of newspapers about this big, and on, in these newspapers, he had circled every single article about the IRS. And on the side, he would write, they're going to arrest me. They're going to take all my money. I'm going to bring my money and drop it off in the front porch. My children are going to suffer. And I looked at it, and I thought, wow, Dad, this, this isn't logical. This is not happening. And he, for him, it was happening. And he began to crawl on the floor. And I thought, well, I'm going to crawl with him. And I'm going to just do what he does. So I crawled on the floor with him. And he was trying to show me where he thought all the taps and the wires were. And I would say to him, there are no wires here. And my dad became more and more distant as this sort of delusion came. And my best friend tried to be helpful, and she said, Harry, I know the director of the IRS in Portland. Do you want me to call him? And that was the worst thing she could have ever said. Because that just made, him, made this, this IRS thing come alive even more. And I'm in the background. You know, and when the other thing I want to say about my dad was that um, he laid beautiful floors. And as I watched him um, crawl around the floor, I realized, oh my God, his floor's crumbling. You know, his floor's being dismantled. And the other thing I thought then was that, oh my goodness, he was the man who built me and built my floor. He, um, he built me a floor that I could stand on, that I could always trust that would be there. And he also built a floor for me that was full of values, that I can invite people to stand with me on this floor and to um, fight from the floor. And as I watched this scene came, come down, I realized both of our floors were starting to shake. And I, I don't give up. When there is a disaster, and there have been many for me, I keep going. I just get pushed harder. So I thought, I have one more idea. I'm going to take him to the ocean because we grew up on the ocean, and um, I thought the water and the air would calm us all down. So I wrapped him in a blanket, he was shaking, and I drove a couple miles and went to the ocean. And we stood against the wall, and I started telling him stories just like he used to tell me. And I would talk to him about all the things we did in the ocean, and my dad, all he could say was every car that came by was the police, the FBI, the CIA, and every person who walked by 
was going to get arrested if they talked to us. And I realized at that point my dad was really, really sick, and we had to go to the ER. We rushed him to the ER, and my dad had never been to a hospital in his whole life, and he was almost 80. And um, we walked in the ER, and a miracle happened because we got assigned a Jewish psychiatrist, and my dad's Jewish. The psychiatrist was from New York, and my dad was from New York. So I thought, holy moly, this is it. This is a sign. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to get better. And the psychiatrist did a great job. He maybe spent 15 minutes with us. He asked, Harry, you're from New York. You know, tell me about your life in New York. And my dad told him, I'm a communist. I, I used to um, protect women in factories. I had... Um, a life where I had strong values, and then he went off to the government this and the IRS this, and the psychiatrist got to see it all. And he said, okay, you have two choices. You can go in the hospital. Um, you're going to have medication because there's something wrong with your brain, Harry, and I'm not going to argue about the IRS anymore, or you can go home with your daughter. And I looked at my dad's face, and it was, there was no choice. I just said, Dad, you're coming home with me. I wrapped him up in a blanket, I brought him to Oregon. And for six months, we kept him in our house. And the first four weeks, every day, we'd go down the stairs and he would say, girls, don't talk to me, the IRS are coming here today. They'll be here at 10, they'll be here at 12. They're gonna take your this, you're gonna, you're gonna lose your dog, the grandchildren, forget it. And each day we would say, no, the IRS are not coming here today and we know you're scared. And I just prayed every day the medicine would work. And Kathleen and I, we, we had to learn a new dance because we now had my dad at home. And every day he was in his pajamas. And every day we had to make him food. And one day we came down the stairs and he said, good morning, girls, how are you? And I was like, fucking hey, he's better, he's better. And I thought, hey, we're great, dad, how are you? And from that point on, for the next two weeks, he was perfectly fine. He never mentioned the IRS. We never mentioned the IRS. It was like a topic that was gone, and we said, let's put him on the plane and take him home. So we put him on the plane, we took him home, and we left him. We got him caregivers and some help, and he really was back to my dad. He was normal again. We got home where he rejoiced. We had fun. We were tender from that experience, and... Um, we were starting our honeymoon when the phone rang again three months later, and this time he, he was dying of AIDS. And we went and we got my dad and we brought him back home. And my dad lived with us for five years. And during those five years, it was the hardest, one of the hardest five years of my life because he was always there. And our life was no longer spontaneous, and we didn't go on any honeymoons. We didn't get to go on big vacations. And I took care of my dad like he took care of me when I was little. I made him breakfast. Um, I helped him pick out his clothes. He had no friends. He had no life. My friends were his friends. And Kathleen became his other daughter. And Kat, he wasn't Kathleen's father but she adopted him and made him her father. But Kathleen had two other parents, and I had a mother. And we learned to live together for five years. And when I look back on those five years, it is a deep blessing in my life. And um, 
he was fading and he was dis disappearing. And he wasn't the dad I knew. But what I did know was that I never faded and I never disappeared. And he and I danced until the very last step. Thank <laughs> you.